0: Good to be together again. The longer this crisis continues, I want to say I am thankful to God and also our church family. Every week I feel more grateful for our church family, and it's so good to see more faces together here as well. I hope you're enjoying the book of Isaiah this summer. It's the longest book of the prophets in the Bible, 66 chapters, and if you take two or three chapters a day, you're going to walk through the entire book. And when you think about Isaiah, Isaiah is someone who loves his country. And he wants the very best for her, but he also knows with the nation, there's some things that are off. There's some things that are spiritually off, morally off. People are mistreating each other. And with this crisis that he's seeing, he's not going to be passive. He's going to serve. He's going to serve with all of his heart. And I hope that we want to serve our nation and just see our nation be all that she can be. And Isaiah is going to prophesy. He's going to write down poetry. He's going to write down prose. There's going to be personification. And then this week, we're going to see him do something in public that is shocking. That's the teaser. We'll get to it in the text. But God calls him to do this. He's listening to God. Throughout the entire book of Isaiah, that's a key question. Who's listening to God? And that's a relevant question for today. Who's listening to God? And ultimately, Isaiah is stirring the souls of the people in the nation. Why? Because he loves them so much, and he wants them to have healthy souls. When your soul is healthy— It'll overflow into every relationship, everything that you do. And God wants to heal, strengthen, encourage our souls tonight as we dive into the book of Isaiah. Let's pray together. Father God, we're thankful as we look back in the history of our lives, in the history of the Israelites, the book of Isaiah, we see your faithfulness, your provision, your mercy again and again. And we praise you and thank you. And then God, we also have longings for what can be. And we see things that are not from you. And Lord, we desire healing. We desire meaningful change. And we want to be a part of that. So guide us tonight. Guide us today as we take it in. Even this week as we continue to take it in. Waking up in the morning in your word. Taking it in. Your presence. Your Holy Spirit. That's our desire. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Isaiah. 66 chapters in this book. You can think of it in two halves. The first half, chapters 1 through 39, and the theme is the holiness of God. God is holy. The Bible says holy, holy, holy. Sometimes we really don't understand how holy God is. God is holy and yet we are loved. Even though we're sinful, we are loved. And God gives us a holy calling. This holy calling has three elements. The first is relationship. And it's abiding and being close with God. The second is our character, becoming more like Christ. That's part of our calling. He's chipping away at the pride and making us more like Jesus. And then the third is our influence. Our influence, what we say and do and our attitudes and the impact we can have in this world. A holy God gives us a holy calling. He empowers us for even difficult times. And the holiness of God is the theme of the first 39 chapters in Isaiah And we're doing kind of an overview. Uh, And then next week, we're going to really camp in chapters 40 to 66. And the theme is the comfort of God. And it's the restoration in our lives that God brings. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to combine two elements of God's character and what he does. It's God's judgment and God's mercy. And the two go together. Maybe if you've grown up in a church there's been a greater emphasis on one and maybe neglecting the other. Sadly, in some churches, God's judgment is just a pounding, and there's no mercy, there's no grace, it's just more judgment. Sometimes it's legalism, and it gets twisted, and it can lead to a very unhealthy fear. It can lead to lots of guilt, lots of shame, because there's no message from God's mercy. And then the flip side Some groups might emphasize God's mercy, and they neglect God's holiness, his judgment. And you kind of wonder, is there any standard? Like, is there sin today? Uh, Do we need to repent? Is anyone else seeing this? Let's tackle injustice. Let's get after it. Uh, And that's all missing because it's just this kind of foofy message of God's mercy. We really, they go together, God's judgment and mercy, and we're going to look at both of them in fullness together and how God works, the reality of his judgment, and then also his mercy that we want to receive and run with his mercy. Uh, Today, we're going to look at three truths that stand out, three powerful truths. Here's the first one. The judgment of God is both national and personal. Isaiah is a prophet. Who both speaks to our souls and the soul of the nation, personal and national? God's judgment is personal and national. Now, I realize right away, talking about judgment could be a trigger word for some people. And I want to say this so clearly God loves you, God does not hate you, God loves you. And if your view of God is that he just wants to squash you, he hates you, he despises you, that's a false view of God. No wonder why we wouldn't worship that kind of God. So God loves you, I want to highlight that. And then also, if there's a trial you're going through, don't assume that it's because you've done something wrong. Like if there's a difficulty, don't think, oh, I probably did something at age 7 or age 17 or age 37 and now I'm paying for it. In John chapter 9, there was a man who was blind And the religious leaders, the accusers, the Pharisees said, well, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus steps in and says, no, that's not why he's blind. So don't rush to, if there's a trial going on in your life, I must have just blown it, God hates me. That's not the message of God's judgment. So let's take a look. God's judgment, personal and national, starting in Isaiah chapter 2, and verse 2. And by the way, I'm going to refer to a lot of scripture today. This could be a message that you watch again. Maybe you want to take notes in these different passages. We're really going to cover a lot of ground today. And it's kind of an overview, like I said, of the first half of Isaiah. So, chapter 2, verse 2, here's God's heart for the nations. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It'll be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. God's heart is an invitation to the nations. Right now, in heaven, we see the nations there. God's house is a house of prayer for all nations. God loves the nations. Remember that because we're going to dive into some judgment. Chapter 10, now a different tone. And this is one of of warning, and the word woe is here. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1 Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights, and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey, and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away, his hand still upraised. Does God get angry? We use that personification. Yes, he does. The word woe is a warning 22 times in the book of Isaiah. It's a warning out of love. Turn, you're going the wrong direction. Has anyone ever given you a warning? You're going the wrong direction in life and maybe at the time you're like, what are you doing speaking into my life? And later on you're like, thank you for speaking into my life. God is giving a warning and ultimately it's a reminder we are all accountable to God. We're all accountable to God. Let's focus in on three nations that you see in the book of Isaiah and the first one's the Moabites and the Moabites chapter 15 Starting in verse 1. And they have an interesting history. Lot, ancestral relationship with his two daughters, and out of those pregnancies, the Moabites and the Ammonites. The Moabites, that's the beginning of the Moabites. Now, uh, let's see what they were doing. Chapter 15, verse 1. An oracle concerning Moab. Moab is ruined, destroyed in the night. And then we read in the streets, in verse 3, they wear sackcloth on the roofs and in the public squares. They all wail, prostrate with weeping. And then Isaiah says, My heart cries out over Moab. Her fugitives are fleeing. And and later he would say, my inmost being is just mourning over Moab. Well, what's happened with Moab? They've been cruel. They've attacked Israel. They've mistreated again and again and again. And finally, God says, that's it. There's going to be judgment for Moab. And Isaiah, even when he declares a woe or judgment, he loves these people. He's hurting, but he also knows that it's time and, and God will bring judgment as well. By the way, uh, the Moabites will just continue, even when hardships come, to go to their false gods. Uh, and, And Chemosh is their false god. They will continue to worship their false gods. They won't turn to God. And it's just in vain. They just continue the same way. Some people won't turn from sin. They As many times in love as you try to warn them, they're not going to turn. And the Moabites were stubborn in going that direction. And, and oh, by the way, kind of a side note, but notice in the Bible when people mistreat Israel, God's holding those people accountable. I'm not saying everything Israel does is fine. I'm not saying that all the nations around Israel, God does love them too. I'm not saying God doesn't love the other nations. But a theme throughout the Bible is a blessing to Israel and uh, caring for Israel. And you see that in Isaiah. Okay, that's the Moabites. I say this is intense. Some of the judgment's intense. Here's the next one Babylonians. And this is in Isaiah chapter 21. Isaiah is now, you know, prophesying about other nations. And in verse 9, in chapter 21, we read, Look, here comes a man in a chariot with a team of horses. And he gives back the answer, Babylon has fallen. Babylon has fallen. All the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground. And oh my people, crushed on the threshing floor, I tell you what I have heard from the Lord Almighty, from the God of Israel. The prophet listens to God and declares that Babylon is going to fall. Now people would hear that and say, wait a second, Babylon is so powerful. How could Babylon fall? Well, in 539 B.C., the Medes and the Persians come in and Babylon falls. Uh, Babylon also is mentioned in other places in the Bible. And Babylon today is in present-day Iraq and it's still in ruins So the prophecy from Isaiah that it'll stay in ruins continues to today. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18, Babylon's mentioned. And there's different views. Some people think that that city is someday going to be restored in the end times. Other people would just say Babylon is a symbol of the capital of rebellion. Babylon has always been a symbol of the capital of rebellion. So Babylon's going to be held accountable. And then Assyria is the other nation. And Assyria, in chapter 37... Assyrians and Babylons were the superpowers of the day. And people kind of saw them as undefeatable, full of pride. And yet, look what happens. Uh, In in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 36, we read, Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, uh, there were the dead bodies. So the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. That's kind of an intense story. You might not have heard that one in Sunday school growing up. It's like, what happens? The Assyrians just keep killing more and more innocent people, more and more innocent people. Here they come to kill more innocent people. What does God do? Send an angel, and 185,000 of the Assyrians couldn't stand up against the angel, and, and they're defeated. They're killed in that battle. Um, have you ever read the book of Jonah? Jonah goes to Nineveh, Nineveh, capital of the Assyrians. And you say, well, Jonah was before this, and it looked like Nineveh responded, turned to God. Well, they did briefly, but then they just went back to their old ways. And Nineveh just continued, Assyria continued, and Nineveh was eventually destroyed in, in 612 BC. And as you consider these nations, there's a mystery. Here's the mystery. And these are some of the things we wrestle with in the faith. God allows sin God is allowing nations to do terrible things to other nations. But then God also steps in and God judges sin. So they don't get away with sin. They're allowed to do some terrible things, but they don't get away with it and God's going to judge those nations and judge the sins of those nations. Um, Let me share kind of an odd story. (laughs) This is one in our house where a squirrel's been running on our roof. And the squirrel, Herbie, is the name that we affectionately gave the squirrel. And Herbie is very active. Herbie and associates decided that they wanted to penetrate the roof and just try to dig into our roof and form a little nest and make them. All day long you just hear Herbie, Herbie, Herbie running across our roof and then digging, digging, digging. Eventually our gutters were cleaned and we were able to put a blockade where Herbie kept trying to penetrate the roof and make the nest and dig in. And so we put up a little blockade for Herbie. Well, Herbie didn't exactly change his ways and Herbie decided the next point of focus would be our dog, Bella. So Herbie would play this kind of teasing game with Bella where Bella would see Herbie and come over and then Herbie would run up a tree and then start mocking Bella and making those little noises. Kind of like, you can't get me, you can't get me, I see you, ha 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 ha. And, and Bella would just sit there, sometimes just for many minutes, just watching Herbie, and Herbie would just be mocking Bella. I should have captured it on video. I really should have. Here's the odd twist, okay? This week, Our kids look outside the window, and there's Herbie on the ground. And Herbie is writhing in pain in something with Herbie's nervous system. Herbie is just twitching all over the place. And you could tell, I don't know if Herbie ate some poison. There's poison in his body. But Herbie's twitching all over the place, and then Herbie dies. And then I've got to go out, and I'm picking up Herbie now uh, from the tail, putting Herbie in a bag. And it's like there's flies all over, and it's just like, what is this scene? And it's kind of stunning. It's kind of memorable. And it's just like, wow, what's going on? I mean, it was so strange to have Herbie digging into our roof, and then Herbie mocking our dog, and now I'm picking up Herbie. It's just the weirdest squirrel story I've ever had in my life. And it's like, well, what do you do with that? And, and in a feeling sort of way, I think there's a similar feeling where these nations just looked unbeatable, undefeatable, full of pride, doing all this you know, chaos and injustice and mistreating people and people feeling like, well, what's going to happen? And then now Isaiah's looking and Assyria goes down and the Moabites go down. It's kind of stunning and Babylon's going to go down. And it's like, what in the world is going on? On, and he's taking it in, and there's some mystery, there's some mourning. Here's a glimpse behind the scenes Isaiah chapter 14. I take prophets see things, and they don't just see things like we see things, but they see things in the heavenly realms. Here's a description as Isaiah writes, not only I think of the Babylonian king, but also ultimately of the devil. You say, Well, the devil is in Isaiah chapter 14. Starting in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven. The devil, Lucifer, was a mighty angel and fell. Uh, here's more information. O oh, morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit throne on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. What did the devil do? said I'm tired of worshipping God. I in pride, I want to be the one that everyone focuses on. And the devil will be thrown into the pit and the lake of fire. Now, what does the devil do? He tries to steal, kill and destroy. Uh, the devil's work can, can happen through different people and nations. And so there is a spiritual battle that Isaiah uncovers here, and it's all reassuring in one sense that no matter how much the devil tries to do and how much damage, he is a defeated foe. God is still in control. God has the final say. God has judgment over the devil, and God prevails. And you say, wow, that's pretty intense. The prophet's pretty intense, But we take this in and we say, well, what do I learn? What's the advice? Here it is. Repent and honor God. Repent, humble yourself, and honor God. What should our nation do? I mean, if you got a call from the president, the Congress, if you got a call from uh, educators, leaders, and said, what should our nation do right now? If I had 30 seconds, I would say, repent. Humble ourselves love each other return to god honor the lord be kind that's the path forward that's the path forward will we bend the knee will we turn from sin you know I was talking to someone today who just said well in conversations with christians when i talk about and we talk about repentance the attitude is kind of like yeah i don't think i need to repent Maybe some other people do, but I don't really think I've got much repenting to do. And I thought, well, what an interesting attitude, you know? What do we need to do? So Isaiah lays it out. The soul of a nation, repent and honor the Lord. Our souls humble ourselves. Honor the Lord. Love the people around us. Be kind. Forgive. It's laid out. Jesus says it this way, because I know when you get into the Old Testament, some people say, oh yeah, but what does Jesus say? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, but I tell you that everyone, Jesus says, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Uh, Preachers like to try to soften or ignore these truths. Why? Because there's a little part inside of me, if I'm vulnerable, that if I preach this message, some people might not like me, and all of us want to be liked. There's uh, a part of me that thinks, oh, if I preach this message, some people might leave the church. And in, in a depraved sort of way, I think, well, it's my job to keep everyone at church. Or some preachers get to this text and they just don't like it. I mean, there's a part of all of us that when we look at the realities of God's accountability in our lives, we just don't like it. So it's easy to skip it. But I believe um, that we need passages like this. Why? Because I believe America needs an awakening. I believe America needs a spiritual awakening in a big, big way. And I believe as our souls become awakened, as our souls become healthy, then we're going to love like Jesus loves. We're going to speak the kind of words that honor Jesus and point people to Jesus. And we need, in our lives, to live like Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. And the hope that is in the Lord. That's meaningful change. That's an awakening. That's what Isaiah's longing for. And truth can lead us to God's grace and to his presence. That's the first part of this message. Here's the second part. And it leads right to it. The faithfulness of God is our only hope. The faithfulness of God is our only hope. It's not religion. It's not performance. It's not putting on a front. It's not denial. The faithfulness of God. Isaiah's message is turn to the faithful one. Turn to the faithful one. And Isaiah was someone who spent some time with kings. There were different kings in Judah. One of them was Ahaz. Ahaz was a king for about two decades. And Ahaz was someone who didn't always make good decisions. In Judah, the southern two tribes in the south, there was a mixture of kings. And this is what Ahaz did. Ahaz, leading the Israelites. Israel, is Israel a huge nation or a small nation? Pretty small pretty small nation. It's a miracle that Israel exists today. This is evidence of God's protection, provision, and keeping his promises. Israel exists today. Is Israel a massive nation or a small nation in the Middle East today? It's a very small nation. And back then, uh, the small nation compared to the superpowers, Babylon, Assyria, they were kind of insecure. And they they thought, well, what are we going to do? There are huge military armies around us and just little old us. So they felt a little inadequate, a little insecure around some of these big superpowers. And Ahaz decided the best plan forward would be to try to form an alliance with Assyria. And God was like, no, trust me. Don't run to Assyria. Come to me. And Isaiah kept saying, go to the faithful one. Go to the faithful one. God's the faithful one, not Assyria. But Ahaz, remember the question, who's listening to God? Ahaz wasn't listening to God. Ahaz formed the alliance with Assyria. This is what he did. He took money out of the church, money out of the temple, and tried to bribe Assyria. And then he shut down the worship. And then he replaced the sacred altar With idols and false gods. And as if that's not enough, he then brought in the religion of the Assyrians, which included killing your kids. And he burned his sons. He killed his sons. So that's the progression. Instead of turning to the faithful one, The slippery slope. Well, I'm just doing a bribe. Well, I'm just taking a little money out of the church. Well, I'm just closing things down for a little bit. Well, I'm just switching out to line up with Assyria and their religion. Well, I'm just sacrificing my kids to try to appease this cruel deity. That's the progression. And Isaiah's seen this. And it breaks his heart. Do you ever see someone on a destructive path and it just breaks your heart? He's like, well, what can I do? And then God gives him this wild assignment. Has God ever given you a role that was very unexpected? (laughs) Has God ever landed on something on you, tapped your shoulder, said your name's on this one, and it's very unexpected? You don't see it coming. It's very unusual. It's unprecedented. You've never done it before. This is what God told Isaiah to do. Chapter 20, verse 2. At the time the Lord spoke through Isaiah... He said to Isaiah, God said to Isaiah, take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so going around stripped and barefoot. How many clothes were still on? I don't know. It doesn't explain it in the Hebrew. I'm not exactly sure. This is what I know. Barefoot and took a lot of clothes off. You say, well, the prophet did that? Yes. For how long? Three years. Can you imagine that? Three years he walked around that way. Well, why would he do that? What's the message? Prophets often do things that God directs to catch the attention of the people, to care for their souls. And with that, something unusual, a metaphor, a picture. Here was the situation. Remember Ahaz tried to link up with Assyria? Totally blew up. Uh, Well, now the opportunity is Egypt and Cush. And Going down the same road, same mistake. Oh, instead of turning to the faithful one God, let's just turn to Egypt and Cush. And starting to go down that road, Isaiah's message is, this is what Egypt and Cush is going to face. They're going to face exile. They're going to be taken captive. And that was his message. Don't have an alliance with them. You're going to end up in this state, this vulnerable captive state. Egypt's going down that road. Don't trust them. Trust the Holy One. Would you do that if God said, and I don't think he's telling you, but would you do that? Would you just walk around for three years in just a minimal amount of clothes for three years and everyone that comes up to you says, what are you doing? And you're just saying, I just want people to turn to the faithful one. That is a radical message. Let me tell you, when a nation gets off track, it takes radical people and radical love and radical words sometimes to bring them back home to God. And even then, Uh, God has to change their hearts. But what is God calling you to do that's radical? The prophet was listening. The prophet was faithful. He was listening, grieving, and proclaiming. Listening to God, grieving for the state of things in the land, and proclaiming who the faithful one is. Listening, grieving, proclaiming. And Hebrews chapter 10 in the New Testament, look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, For he who promised is faithful. He is the faithful one. So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You could just put that all over the coronavirus. What are we gonna do during this time? We're gonna hold, we're gonna hold on to God. He is faithful and we're gonna consider how we may grow in love and good deeds towards one another. And Isaiah is gonna hold on to the faithful one and in love, he's gonna step forward. You know, I just hear stories from people in our church sharing Jesus with family members. Sharing Jesus with family members who have COVID even. I hear people in our church family serving in the hospital, sharing Jesus in the hospitals. Uh, I had an opportunity to share Jesus with someone I went to college with. The same message. He's the faithful one. He's the faithful one. And the beautiful part In Isaiah, and it's really God's heart, in the middle of all this judgment and warning, there's these songs that burst forth. And songs of praise. I hope that during this whole you know crisis that you just have songs at home and songs when you're walking and songs on the radio and songs of praise just because the building hasn't been as accessible don't let that stop your songs of praise to the lord don't wait till the thing ends before you start praising god again and we see this with isaiah he's weeping and then he's praising the lord and in isaiah chapter 12 I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. So sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud. Sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Do you hear that? Spirit of praise. Spirit of worship. Give God glory. I hope if this has been the most intense, darkest year that you've had in a decade, a couple decades, let God continue because of his faithfulness to remind you of his goodness, to stir our souls towards a song of praise and to not hold back in worshiping him. Continue to worship him, church. He's worthy of our praise. And we see this progression from the judgment of God. It's national and personal, but the faithfulness of God is truly our hope. Our only hope is the faithfulness of God. And it leads to this, the mercy of God, third powerful truth. The mercy of God is the song of the redeemed. What is this song that we sing? We sing about God and the mercy of God. Now, when it comes to God's mercy, some people have a twisted and tainted view. And this could maybe even go back to a relationship you've had with someone else. When I think of mercy, one person that comes to my mind is my aunt. And she was much older than I was. And she would say, Jesse, put your hands out. And just kind of spread them out like that. Has anyone ever done this to you? And then she would interlock her fingers... Into my hands and then say, ready, go. And then she would thrust with her force and get over those fingers and then grind them in there. And she was just waiting for me to say mercy, mercy, or uncle, uncle. Either word was acceptable. I I probably could have said auntie, uh, because that's who she was. But hey, she was the youngest of eight kids. So you know she took a lot and was ready to dish a little out. And uh, you know that old saying, I think, hurt people, hurt people. Well, I forgive her. A long time ago, I've forgiven her. But she loved to find me and then just dish something out. When you think of God's mercy, that is not the picture of God's mercy. God does not just grab your hand, force you in this position, and you finally say, mercy, mercy. That is a false view of God and his mercy. Instead, let's consider Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became sin for us. He became a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us. That means bought us back, bought us with the price, uh, the price of his blood. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God's mercy in a nutshell. We've broken the law. We've broken God's standard and commands. We fall short of His glory. Jesus takes our place, fully human and fully uh, uh, God, both fully human and fully God, becomes sin for us. We receive mercy undeserved. It's free for us. It wasn't free for Jesus. By His shed blood, and it's by His grace, His sacrifice for us. Love always includes sacrifice. Jesus took on the full wrath of God so that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now Jew and Gentile can abide, have an abundant life, eternal life, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's the message of the gospel. That's the song that we sing. Mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. We deserve separation from a holy God. What do we get? A holy God who pursues us, couldn't love us more, died in our place, and welcomes us home with joy. That's mercy. That moves our hearts. And, and you say, well, what was the condition spiritually back then? I'm going to read to you the condition of the spiritually uh, of souls back then. It's going to sound a lot like the condition of souls today. And Isaiah chapter 29, Jesus quoted this. So you know it's true in Isaiah's time, about 700 years before Christ. True then for Jesus. True today. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing? So the audacity of the clay to turn to the potter and say, you know nothing, I'm actually the one in charge. I think back to religion class in college where I had Professors who had a PhD and just kind of thought of themselves as so lofty and talked about like God, like He was made almost in their image and they're in control. Maybe you've been around this sort of mentality. It's the mentality of who are you, God? Who are you? Well, I'll tell you who He is. He's our Creator. <laughs> He's our Maker. He's the Potter. We're the clay. And that closed fist, hardness to God—that was the condition then. And yet. God can change the most stubborn heart. And God humbles us. The king Hezekiah, he was in Judah. He was very, very sick. Doctors would say he's about to die. This is what happened though. And here's just more of God's mercy. In Hezekiah, we read, it's Isaiah chapter 38. Hezekiah is going to cry out to God in his condition. And verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and tell Hezekiah, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. So Hezekiah is going to get protected from Assyria. Hezekiah is going to get 15 more years on his deathbed from God in his mercy And Hezekiah is going to receive that mercy. But then is he going to run with the Lord? No, he's going to return to some foolishness. And he's going to say, hey, Babylonians. Maybe because he feared the Assyrians and he thought, oh, let me get an alliance with the Babylonians. He says, Babylonians, come on in. Check out everything I've got. Who's listening to God? Hezekiah, you just received so much mercy. Are you listening to God? No, he's not listening to God. So we want to receive God's mercy And then not return to sin and foolishness. We want to receive God's mercy and then run with the Lord. I want to uh, wrap up by um, having you think about this aspect of awakening. Okay? Maybe you've heard a lot about, especially today, we've talked a lot about nations. And that can be a little overwhelming when you think, wow, we've got a huge nation. So let me boil it down because a lot was personal. Hezekiah, Isaiah, there's a lot of personal aspects. Let me boil it down to a word that everyone's talking about these days, your bubble right? Everyone's saying, okay, your bubble. Uh, who's in your bubble? That means who do you talk to? Who do you have no mask on, hang out, give a hug to? Who do you feel like is, you know, what's the, the culture of your bubble? Who's in your bubble? What's the mood in your bubble uh, during the crisis? What's going on in your bubble? And I encourage you that there can be awakening in your bubble. There can be awakening in your soul. There can be a healthy culture in your bubble. Not one of despair, not one of you know, mean comments, not one of panic, not one of running away from God and not praying, not one of missing worship, not one of, of strife, not one of, no, 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 there can be a healthy culture, there can be awakening in your bubble during this crisis. And Isaiah had that. You know, the most important thing on the inside of your life, it's your soul, it's your closeness with God. And when things are healthy in your soul, the confidence in God, the inner condition of your life, when you abide with God, there will be a song, there will be joy, there will be healing, there will be renewal when in your soul you say, yes, come in, Lord Jesus, take over. And then this song comes out. And I'm going to close by reading a couple of these songs. And I think it's important to just let God's word wash over us. Sometimes I really study God's word deeply. Sometimes I just read it. And the Bible says just let it wash over you. Let it sink in deeply. And, and we're looking at a lot of different scripture tonight, but I hope it's an encouragement. Maybe it kind of whets your appetite to get into Isaiah. Or maybe it's a reminder to just read God's word a little more and let it sink in. So here's a couple of the songs as you think about Isaiah's inner condition and how different it is than the nation in the crisis around him. What's going on in his bubble? There's praise. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4 You have been a refuge for the poor, God, a refuge for the needy in distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet. Of, of wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Some people say, oh, there's no mention of everlasting life in the Old Testament. Uh, what did we just read? He will swallow up death forever, and wipe away the tears. What's happening? There's a stirring of a longing, this, this promise of better things to come. And, and Isaiah senses that. And then chapter 26, here's the song. We have a strong city. God makes salvation. It's walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace he or she whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. So trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. That means there can be the deepest, sweetest peace in the midst of the worst suffering. Why? We keep our mind on the Lord. and our souls, we trust the Lord. That's how Isaiah's walking through the crisis. And then one more from Isaiah chapter 35. In verse 3, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. They will uh, then will the lame leap like a deer and the, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. As you hear that, it's like, yes, we want that refreshment, that stirring of hope, and that joy in that singing. To review, does God judge? Yes, He does. He holds us accountable. God judges nations. God judges people. What do we do with that? Well, God's faithfulness is our hope. We have hope. This hope is real. This hope is strong. And it's based in who God is, his character, his promise, his love to us. We have hope in the middle of rebellion and waywardness. We have a hope because of God's faithfulness. And as we receive God's mercy, don't resist it but we repent and receive God's mercy. May our nation receive God's mercy. As we receive it, we don't return to sin, but we run forward with the Lord. And what happens? Healing, songs of joy, reassurance of his presence, comfort from the Lord. There's transformation that starts with the soul. It's not a transformation that's based on law or policy or circumstances. It's a connection with God, the merciful, holy God who has judgment and grace. And when we try to stop denying who he is, but say yes to his greatness, his grandeur, the fullness of his character, we see him for who he is. Then we know who we are. And then we run to him. And he receives us with love. Let's do that. Uh, I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward now. This last song is Living Hope. And I would say for Isaiah, there was so much hanging in the balance for the nation and for the people. And we're living in a time right now, I believe 2020 is a pivotal, pivotal year in the history of our nation. There's so much hanging in the balance. And where's the hope? Jesus Christ, not just what he said and did, but he himself is our peace. And we have a hope that's not just something to study, but we have a hope that's real in all circumstances. I believe this with every part of my being. Jesus is risen. Our hope is in him. He is faithful. He will always love us. He will never leave us. He is that good. He is that good. And so don't despair. Turn to the Lord. Let's receive his mercy. Let's sing his praise. We can grieve and praise him and grieve and praise him and be authentic. Let's worship the Lord together. He's our living hope.